Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. It's great to see you today. It's been a joy to be with you today, uh, the fourth Sunday, and we're going to conclude our series as we study what it means to look like Jesus. And of course, we're looking primarily at the summary found in the fruit of the Spirit when we're talking about what it means to look like Jesus. I want to start with one of my favorite stories. Um, It was a story that I didn't know uh, until, I guess, a year or so ago about Ernest Shackleton, and you'll see a picture uh, from uh, 1914 uh, when his uh, ship was actually embarking on what at that time was the world's greatest journey. And of course, uh, Elon Musk and uh, others are trying to shoot out into space and have their own uh, intergalactal um, kind of conquest. And they're talking about setting up a, uh, a Mars station and all sorts of crazy things in our imagination. Well, this takes you back to 1913, 14, and 15 when an explorer wanted to cross Antarctica. Now, imagine cold, imagine difficult journey, imagine, imagine an ocean-going experience. And um, Shackleton said that this was going to be the world's greatest Antarctic journey, and maybe the last frontier would be conquered. And he gathered a group of men together. He put dogs that were going to be uh, carrying the dog sleds across Antarctica onto the ship. And he left with great fanfare the UK, made his way to Argentina, down to the Weddell Sea. And at the Weddell Sea, the interesting dynamic was a thousand miles further north than they anticipated they began to engage the ice. And they thought they'd be able to travel a thousand miles closer to Antarctica before they actually got to the ice, but, but it was a terribly cold year and the ice had advanced. And eventually they were stuck in the ice. They were stuck in the ice for a period of time. They freed themselves from the ice. They continued to be stuck in the ice again and again and again. Finally, the ice flows froze them in, crushed their ship, and destroyed their chances of ever making this journey. Now, all of a sudden, the journey of crossing Antarctica became a journey that the whole world was focused upon. New York Times was writing about it. The London newspapers were writing about it. Word was spreading around the world. Financial support coming in from all around the world as they were trying to now rescue these 26 men, I believe is uh, the number of men and and the other animals that were with them, and bring them back home. And it was a multi-year effort, and it was absolutely one of the greatest stories ever told of how Shackleton eventually got onto his own rescue boat, traversed 800 miles across what most people call the most dangerous seas in the world, landed on South Georgia Island, No one had known crossing the mountains of the South Georgian Island, but they landed on the south coast, crossed over to a village on the north coast, and eventually from there set out on a rescue venture that rescued every single man. Not a single person was lost. And when they were brought back home, they were brought back home with incredible fanfare. And of course, the fanfare 
was not for traversing Antarctica. It was for actually taking the journey and then surviving the journey and being rescued from the journey. When asked about that, when asked why was there no mutiny, why was there no loss of life, here's what Shackleton said in a local newspaper. He said, because if you remember before the journey was taken, we had invited only the right people to take the journey. And here's how they were invited. He had taken out a newspaper ad inviting, quote, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return is doubtful, honor and recognition in the case of success, end quote. You see, what resulted was only the right people ever made the journey. People who were going to survive, people that had the right spirit, people that had the right discipline, the people that, that had to be on that boat and had to have these qualities were the ones that were on that boat. And though the journey was different than they anticipated it being, the journey was successful in the sense that it captured the world's attention, highlighted Antarctic travel, and brought these men back home safely. You know, I would say to us today that we're in a similar, unusual type of time. There's a lot of opposition to Christianity in our post-Christian culture. The world is changing rapidly with technological advances. Uh, One generation passing from the scene and another generation coming onto the scene. There is just an immense amount of change that is going on. But one thing is still true, that every single person is living a life that is a journey as they try to navigate through the twists and turns of what life's experiences hold for them. It seems complicated. It seems overwhelming. At times it seems paralyzing. It seems like it's one of the most challenging times in Christianity. But here's the thing I would say to you, for those who will walk in the Spirit and keep step with the Spirit, they can bear spiritual fruit. They can be resilient. They can demonstrate Christ-likeness. They can put on display this spiritual grit that allows you to not only make the journey successful, though it may di- be different than you sometimes anticipated, but it can have an impact and it can fulfill a great purpose. In our study, we have looked first at what it was like to be like Jesus. We saw what God's plans were. The Father had a plan for us to be like Jesus. The Holy Spirit works for the fulfillment of that plan. We saw how one day we will be like Jesus. So that's the journey that we're on. And we may have in mind one thing related to what that journey is about, but the reality is the journey is always going to be different than we anticipated. But in that journey, we can always be assured of this, that we will watch God navigate us step by step. The second thing that we saw was the spiritual vitality, the first three fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And we said that spiritual vitality comes only from God, that when we have a right love for Him, right joy, right peace, that there is a work that is bigger than us that is taking place. And then last week, we looked at our relationships, and we gave consideration to this idea of what our relationships need to look like, and we saw things like 
being patient and being kind and being good. And that was a deep challenge, I think, for all of us to step back and say, what does it mean to be good and to be kind and to be gracious towards others? And then today we come to the final step, and that final step is as we look at our personal spiritual stability. Now, here's the thing I want to say to you. I can assure you that the journey will be different than you anticipated the journey through life being. There are just twists and turns that are going to make the journey different than any single one of us ever anticipated. But I can also promise you that if you'll follow God's pattern, you will see yourself living out this fruitful life in Christ Jesus that can not only be impactful, but it will be purposeful for you. We put up on the screen in front of you this verse of Scripture today, and let's just look at it again afresh and anew and notice what it says. It says of the fruit of the Spirit that the Bible teaches us um, this idea that we have this fruit of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, these are the things that the Bible encourages in each one of us. So we looked at the spiritual vitality from the first three. We looked at the relational aspect in the next three. And then today we want to take that idea of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control and look at each one of these fruits. So let's take first the fruit of faithfulness. Now, when you hear faithfulness, you may step back and think about things like God's faithfulness. And of course, every one of these fruits is rooted in God's perfect expression of that fruit. So, as we think about the Bible and the content of the Bible and faithfulness, we can step back and say, yes, the Bible says God is faithful. The Bible teaches us about how he's been faithful. As a matter of fact, in theology, there's an entire category of God's faithfulness under what's known as the veracity of God. Now, that's a big word, and yet it's an important word, and it teaches us that God is unchanging, God is stable, God is steady, God is secure, and because God is all those things, His promises are always true, He always tells us the truth, and the things that He says or declares or does are always going to come about. I love that passage in Lamentations chapter 3. It's maybe some of your all's favorite uh, verse in the Bible where it talks to us about because of the Lord's great love for us, we do not lose heart. Because His compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. And then he goes on to say that great statement that that great hymn has been built upon, great is thy faithfulness. And so that idea of God's faithfulness is something that we can count on in our own life, steadies us when the journey seems to be other than what we perhaps have anticipated it to be. But it is because of God's faithfulness that we are called to be faithful. Because faithfulness conveys this idea of stewardship. Faithfulness tells us that we are the amen of God's uh, activity. Did you know that the word amen is rooted 
out of this word that is built on the amen and it becomes the word faithfulness or trust or belief. And the idea is this, that your life lived faithfully for Jesus should point back to the faithfulness of God that is on display in his character and in his word. That's why the Bible encourages us. That's why Jesus told the parable to encourage us about stewardship. Do you remember the, the, the parable of, of the faithful stewards, the ones that were entrusted with, with five talents and three talents and one talent? And each one had responsibility to use their talent in a way that it produced more. And, and the master said, I'm going to go away but I want you to take this talent and I want you to use it and accomplish something with it, make the most of it, and then I'm going to come back and you're going to give an account for that. And of course, the, the ones with multiple talents put the talents to work immediately. And, and when the master, though he tarried, when he came back after a long time, they were rewarded for the, the work that they had done. But the one that just had the one talent wasn't criticized for just having one talent. As a matter of fact, they were encouraged to focus upon the utilization of that talent. But when they failed to use that talent and they buried it in the ground and they weren't faithful to, to serve with it and work with it, there was a difficult word that was spoken by the master. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. You know, those are startling words, aren't they? They're words that cause us to step back and go, we, we never want to hear those words one day when we report to the Lord. We never want to think that the Lord is, is looking over the balcony of heaven into our lives and is thinking, oh, I wish they would, would get along and use the talents and use the gifts and do the work and serve the kingdom and work within the church. No, 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 we want to hear different words, don't we? We want to hear words like, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the contrast to those words of you wicked and lazy servant. You see, faithfulness calls out of us this sense of we're stewarding our life. We're, we're a steward of our time. We're a steward of our talents. We're a steward of our testimony. We're a steward of our resources. And the Bible says in every one of those categories, in every category of our life, it is important that we are found to be faithful because the Lord has been faithful and he calls us to faithfulness as well. Now, there's a second grace here that is described for us. It's not just the grace of, of this faithfulness, but it's the, the grace of gentleness. And the idea of gentleness, of course, is that of strength brought under control. Now, a lot of people don't see gentleness in that kind of way. They, they don't think of gentleness as strength. But the Bible is very clear to us that gentleness is not just a weakness or a meekness. The idea of gentleness is that there is something that is strong, something that is powerful, that is brought under God's control. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses this idea of gentleness in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, there's a stewardship piece related to that as well. We, we won't go into that. We'll save that for the Beatitudes series. But the idea is that Jesus was saying, I want to take your strengths and I want to bring them under my control because that's when the greatest impact in your life can be had. 
Um, the picture used in the first century was that of a horse or of a mule or some sort of a beast of burden that would be broken and be able to have a bit or a saddle or oxen in a yoke so that it could become productive. And of course, no one would ever say that a horse or an ox or a a cow or a bull or something like that was not strong and powerful. No, as a matter of fact, they would probably emphasize the power of that animal. But what the gentleness meant was that their strength was able to be tapped into. And you know, that's really the question for me and you, isn't it? Is can our strength be tapped into? Um, I, I remember years ago when I was just a little guy on our farm in East Tennessee and my uncle was trying to break one of the horses. And any of you that live in the equestrian world, as I know many around here do, you, you know that putting a saddle on a horse for the very first time can tend to be a dangerous endeavor. And I watched my uncle take uh, Dusty, was this uh, new horse's name, and they led Dusty out to a plowed field that had been plowed so that Dusty could be broken in a plowed field. And if you've been around that world, you know breaking a horse in a plowed field is a lot softer landing than breaking a horse in a rough field that's just hard pan dirt that you land on when that horse throws you off. And sure enough, I watched Dusty throw my Uncle Jerry off the horse off of its back and landed on his head, it seemed like at least three times. And I thought to myself, he's crazy for doing that. Well, about three months later, I saw Dusty again out there with a bridle in its mouth and being led along and a saddle on its back. And it was just walking along, doing its own thing. And my uncle said this to me, he said, Robbie, you're going to get up on Dusty today, and this is going to be kind of the test to see if we've gotten Dusty to where he needs to be. And I thought to myself, there's no way you're getting me up on that, that horse that I watched throw you all those number of times in that field. Well, he finally convinced me to get up on that horse, and he kind of lifted my leg up, got me in the stirrup, flipped my leg over, and he was leading me along and finally handed me the reins. And I rode along on that horse. I don't know how many hands high that horse was, but it was a huge horse from where I was seated. And I had my legs wrapped around its, its sides, and I was holding on for dear life, and I was holding on to the reins. And I can tell you this, I felt the sheer power of that horse. But here was the difference. It had been brought under control. You know, the Bible is drawing that picture for me and you. You, you. you have many strengths, many abilities, many powers, if you will. But the question is, will you let God put the bit and bridle on you to lead you directionally? And will he, you let him put the saddle on you so that he can go with you and take the journey? And see, until there's a gentleness, a surrender of our strength for His purposes, for His plans, oh, we fight against it like Dusty throwing my Uncle Jerry off the horse. That's how many people live in their relationship with God when it comes to that, I don't know that I like this, God. I'm not sure this is comfortable, God. And before long, we begin to arch our back and throw our fits and have all of our temper tantrums when in reality, 
If we would demonstrate gentleness towards God and others, we would not only have the fruit of the Spirit as being present in our life, but we would have the impact of Christ going on within our life as well. You know, James writes about this in James chapter 3 and verse 17 when he writes these words, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, and then submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. You see, that's exactly what the Bible is talking about. Will we be gentle and humble of heart when the Lord is working? You know, the contrast, it's, it's an interesting contrast in the book of James because in the book of James, he says, here's the wisdom of the self, of the individual, and then here's the wisdom of heaven. And we've just read the wisdom of heaven. But the, the wisdom that leads ourself is selfishly ambitious and proud and filled with vain conceit. It's exactly what he does in the fruits of the Spirit. He says, here's the temptation of the flesh and here's how it's going to end. But here are the blessings of being in the Spirit of God. And in the end, he says, there's a harvest of righteousness. Now notice the final thing, if you will, the final grace is the grace of self-control. The grace of self-control. The, the word carries with it the idea of dominion or power. Now, are you getting the idea that when Paul's writing about the fruits of the, of the Spirit, that he thinks that people have a lot of power? Every one of the words that he uses in the fruit of the Spirit for our relationship with ourself, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control put on display the willful strength of men and women and boys and girls. But the question is this, will we surrender that strength that we have or that we think we have and give it to God and let it really be used for Him? Now, in the spirit of self-control, the idea here is that, that this strength is taken control of in the sense that it produces good things and not harmful things. As a matter of fact, the Bible, when it talks about self-control, talks about two different things. It talks about self-control from harmful things and self-discipline to produce beneficial things. If you want to read a lot about this, just read Proverbs chapter 1 and Solomon talks to his sons about the strength that they have and the wisdom that they need. And he says, look, there's two categories you can work in. You can work within yourself or you can work within the Spirit. If you work within yourself, you're going to, to always be tempted by the desires that you have. But when you're working in the Spirit, if you'll discipline those things, then you'll be able to make much of what God has given you as you steward it in your life. It's a great parallel passage to this fruit of the Spirit. So the idea is self-control that harnesses you and prevents you from getting involved in dangerous or harmful things. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's many harmful things that are out there in the world today. Maybe drugs and alcohol that can bring addiction. We've seen the nature of relationships when we were looking at the front end of this fruit of the Spirit passage. We see the sexual temptation. We see the social temptation. I mean, there are as many ways to 
harm ourselves as is possible to think about as a human being. And the Bible says that we have to have restraint saying that God has set guardrails for us so that in the thousands of decisions that we make in a single day, that we make decisions for our good and not for our harm. And so the idea is we restrain our passions, we restrain our appetites, and instead of falling to dangerous patterns, we began to do things with self-discipline. We, we put our mind to things, we put our heart to things, we put our strength to things, and those things are to be good things. We are to live in the sense of, of being motivated by love to serve God and to accomplish beneficial things, things like building your life as a married couple, or raising your children and teaching them spiritual lessons, or working hard and being faithful to steward the job or the skills that the Lord has entrusted to you, or working through the ministry of your church to make sure that the, the evangelism and education and missions activities of a church are actually accomplished. In other words, we have to work hard towards those things to accomplish what it is that the Lord desires for us to accomplish. Uh, Billy Graham once said about this dimension of self-control, he said, the highest mark of nobility is self-control. It is more kingly than a regal crown upon your head. You see, the idea that self-control is present in a world where there's very little control, in a world where very few people say no to anything, in a world where many self-destructive habits and self-destructive practices are immediately in front of us, one of the truest indicators of a spiritually healthy and whole person is that there is a sense of self-restraint and self-discipline. What an important truth this is. As we close today, I want to give you just a few life lessons that I think are vitally important if we're going to live with this spiritual strength and this spiritual stability in an unstable time. And the first is this, is that God provides first and foremost the ultimate stability in, in the person of Jesus Christ and in the gospel of salvation that he offers. And, and that's the first and most important thing to understand. It is this idea that, that God is the rock of our salvation, and, and He's the one that can't be shaken. And if you're here today and you feel like, hey, I'm just not the stable person that I need to be. Hey, I'm not demonstrating faithfulness or, or gentleness or self-control. You need to understand that those are not humanly manufactured strengths and abilities. Those are the results of your life being found in Christ and of you beginning to live that everyday life in Jesus Christ. And so it starts and it is fueled by God, by Christ, and by His gospel. Uh, number two, I want you to understand this, that God expects you to steward your life, to steward your gifts, to steward your resources, and steward your ministry, and to steward your testimony. 
I mean, those are precious things that God has given to you, and it is so vitally important that you understand what gifts and what strengths that you have, and that you need to use those for the kingdom of God. And it is in using those gifts and using that testimony that you grow even stronger and stronger. It's like lifting weights. The first time you lift weights, you go in there and you're trying to lift that bar, and the bar alone by itself is more than you can pick up. You strain and you struggle, but boy, if you'll stay with it, and if you'll keep going to the gym, and you'll keep lifting and doing those exercises that your trainers told you, what happens? Before long, you've gained in strength. You're able to not just lift the bar, but now there's weights on the bar, and there's not just a few weights, but there's big weights, and all of a sudden, that strength of stewardship begins to get you stronger and stronger. And that's exactly what happens spiritually, that the idea of your stewardship grows or the idea of your ability to articulate your testimony grows or your ability to teach grows. When you steward those gifts that the Lord gives you, you get stronger and stronger and the impact gets greater and greater And you see, one day you're going to have that privilege and that responsibility to report to the Lord. And the Lord is going to ask you how you did with the gifts that he had given. And there's the two biblical examples. We all want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The sobering reality is there'll be far too many that will hear those wicked and lazy words. It is imperative that you steward the gifts that God has given you. Number three, when your strength is brought under God's control, that's when you can really be fully used by God. You know, every single one of us here has our strengths. It may be a strength of character, a strength of personality, a strength of physical presence, a strength of the spirit. But here we would have to say, no matter what your human strength is, until it's brought under God's control, it's really not a strength that can last. It's not a strength that can remain. It's not a strength that God can use until we stop kicking against the Lord and we start accepting where God is leading, what God is using, how God is working. And when we come to that place, the Bible calls it a place of surrender. And it's at that point of absolute surrender that God can do his best work in our lives. And then finally, number four, that self-control requires you to restrain your passions and release your plans. You see, there are some things that can just harm you. It can harm your testimony. It can harm your purity. It can harm your spiritual life, it can harm your devotional life, it can harm your marriage, it can harm your parenting, it can harm your kids. And the Bible says that those things, we need to practice self-control over those dangerous things. And in the same way, we need to practice self-discipline. Do you know the two self-disciplines that are hardest for believers to practice? Number one is Bible reading, and number two is prayer. The two hardest disciplines that Christians for the last 25 years have said are the most difficult disciplines for them to practice in their daily habits and patterns of life. But do you know what we also know? Is that the two most productive disciplines in a person's life, the two disciplines that do more to shape them into the likeness of Jesus Christ, the two disciplines that make them think more of the thoughts of God that God wants them to think are the disciplines of Bible reading 
and prayer. You want to demonstrate self-discipline this week? I would say just take on one practice to get up 15 or 20 minutes earlier to open your Bible and to read a chapter of the Bible and then to spend time in prayer. Studies say that more powerfully than anything else you can do in your life, simply practicing that discipline holds greater possibilities for spiritual transformation than anything else. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Try that discipline for just this week. Ernest Shackleton, when he made his way back to to London, to the fanfare and to the questions and to the opportunities for delivering his message and sharing his story, was said to have quoted this when meeting with an elite group of financers who had helped to fund his mission. He said, quote, to be brave cheerily and to be patient with a glad heart to stand the agonies of thirst and laugh with laughter and sing, to walk beside death for months and never be sad, that's the spirit that makes courage worth living. You know, if you change that little C or that little S to a big S, I would say you have a pretty good spiritual statement. He's talking about the spirit of man But what I would say is when you put in front of that the Spirit of God and the courage that's required and and the joy that is present and, and the love of others, the love of God, the peace that sustains you in the kinds of trouble that he's talking about, oh, you have a portrait and a picture of what it's like to journey through life with wisdom and courage and hope and orientation, knowing, hey, God is the captain and guide of the journey of my life. He is working everything for His good, for His glory and for my good. And in the end, He will deliver me safely as His child to where He wants me to go. Let's bow our head and close our eyes as we close our service today. I wonder if there are some that are maybe here today that just need to focus again upon the Lord, that these are the works that God spiritually wants to do in your life. And Maybe it is that one of the fruits of the Spirit in this series have really stuck out to you. Maybe it's love or maybe it's joy. Maybe it's self-control or maybe it's gentleness. Maybe it's one of the relationship words like kindness. Maybe there's just one of those words that you would zero in on today and say, you know, I, I think God is wanting to work in my life in one of those ways. With our heads bowed just now, if that's the case, if there's just kind of one word that you zero in on in the nine words in this study, would you just raise your hand? Nobody will be looking around but me and nobody's going to do anything but, but pray for you, but would you just slip your hand up if there's one of those words in that list that you just kind of go, hey, that's me. That's my need. Thank you. Now, with that word in mind, would you take just a moment and whisper a prayer to God? Would you just whisper a prayer to the Lord and 
say, God, focusing in on that word this week, I want to see you do in my life what your word promises you can do. Would you just whisper that prayer to the Lord? I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to stand, and as we stand, we'll sing. It'll give us all opportunity to reflect on these truths, to consider the Word of God, to step back and think about our own spiritual growth in the presence of the Lord. Maybe if a word didn't come to mind in this study, maybe you'd just step back and say, Okay, God, where are you present in my life and what is it you're wanting to do? And sometimes that question may be the most honest question of all. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Then we'll stand as we stand and sing. I pray that the Spirit of God would just flood this place. Maybe fill your life. Maybe encourage you at a weak point. Maybe challenge you at a strong point. Maybe help you with a struggle. God, as we reflect on these words, as we stand, as we sing, we pray that your spirit would be moving and be at work in this room, Father. Help us, Lord, to become the people who look like Jesus Christ more and more with ever-increasing glory. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Jed, come and lead us as we sing. If you need to slip out and come, I'll be here. If you need to just pray and spend some time with the Lord, you can do that too right where you are.